we are talking about Paul's mission to the world, really. And Paul, as we noticed this last time out, he now has begun this second missionary journey, and he's got his team made up, right? He's picked up Silas in place of Barnabas. He is also, last week we see that he picked up this young man by the name of Timothy, who will be going with him. And then Luke is with him. Who's Luke? Luke is the one who is recording this history that we find in the book of Acts. He, he writes the book of Acts for us. But suddenly, what hap- there's something that happens that just absolutely is amazing. Because here they are on this trip, and they're in uh, Galatia and Phrygia, and they want to go into Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go in. And then it says they want to go north into Bithynia, and the Spirit of God would not allow them to go. And I'm not even sure what all that means. I don't know how that was done. I don't know why it was done. I don't know what was happening at the time. I just know this, that the Spirit of God is in charge of this mission. Right? The Spirit of God is the one who is in charge of this whole mission. And and I think the other thing that we learn from this is that Paul is following the Spirit. Paul absolutely goes along with the guidance and the leading of the Spirit. So Paul is given this vision. And it's found here in Acts 16 and verse 9. And it is this man, a man from an area called uh, Macedonia. It's a territory. And this man is there, and he's calling him to come and to help. And it must have been a very touching very moving vision that we find here. And no doubt they're wanting to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. But this is uncharted territory. This is Europe. I haven't been into Europe before. According to my Ancestry.com, that's my people. This is when the gospel is going to go into these areas. And here we're going to learn there's a much smaller Jewish community that is found there, and there's a much, uh, much more observable pagan community that we find in these places. And how does Paul respond according to verse 10? What does it say there? Anybody? Immediately, right? He doesn't hesitate. The Spirit of God has blocked his way. He's opened one door, I mean, closed one door, but the Spirit has opened another door where this is supposed to all be going. And so that's where we pick up our reading for this morning. In chapter 16, we begin in verse 11. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. So what he's doing is he's giving us the journey, Luke is. He's telling us as they move into this place called Philippi, and it says something very important, is a Roman colony. And that means at one time the Roman Empire made its way there, and now they have absorbed it. But not all of those places could be Roman colonies, but this one was a Roman colony. 
And what you find in the book of Philippians and what you find, as we're going to be finding out here over the, over the next few weeks, is the fact that this was a big deal because they come face to face with the power and the pride of being a Roman citizen. All right? So let's keep going because now we, we learn of the first people that they encounter. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we might say Saturday, we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and we spoke to the women gathered there. The Greek is where a prayer place was. And it was the term that was used of a synagogue. Okay? So they're going to this place. And you notice where they go to look for this by running water. Well, why by running water? Because that way they wouldn't have to have a mikvah. What's a mikvah? A mikvah is what we might refer to as a baptistry. And it gave them a place that they could immerse. They could be a part of these ritual purification that was a part of Judaism. Well, they get out there. Do they find a synagogue? Apparently not. And that may indicate to us they didn't have 10 Jewish men that were required to have a synagogue. But I think more importantly, we are to see there is not a very high Jewish concentration here in this area. And certainly not one of... of have taken this very seriously in their lives. But we do notice they come up on some women. Isn't that interesting? I, we, could just, we could go all day on that. Us preachers could tell you, you know, usually it's the women who will show up and the men who don't in, in, in times past. But anyway, what he's showing here is that this group of women come and it says that Paul sat down and talked. And that's significant if you understood back in that day and time. He's, what he's saying is, I am a guest rabbi. And he sat, sat and he spoke. So let's go on and let's read the rest of our text. Verses 14 and 15. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptized... She urges us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Luke gives us some details about one of the women that he met down by this river, right? And one of the things is she sold purple cloth. She was not just a retailer, she would have been the owner. And this was high-end stuff, okay? Purple was what the wealthy and royalty wore. This was very expensive stuff. And so what that tells us is that she rubbed shoulders with some of the, the society's elite, with the wealthy. She probably was wealthy herself. The other thing is she was from Thyatira. Biggest significance here is that is known as a textile industry. The other thing is she worshiped God. And the way it's used here is the same way it's used, used of Cornelius and others who were Gentiles who were God-fearers. They were not a part of the community of God. They had not gone through these ritualistic uh, forms and everything else, but they are very interested in God. And the other thing we find is that she listened intently. And that is, according to the Greek, it is an intense listening that we find here. We don't know what Paul says. But I think we can absolutely assume he's talking about Jesus. 
and he's talking about the kingdom. And based on her response, they brought up baptism. So, what we find here is this beginning part of the discipleship process that we've continued to talk about. Paul and his mission team was all about bringing people to Jesus. Bringing them to the cross. Bringing them where the kingdom of God has now, has now emerged into our world. This is what they were about. And the Holy Spirit is very active. We've seen this. It can stop people from going into areas, but God sends people. He sends us to go and to, and to share this wonderful message of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some things that are going on here that I want us to show. There's three things in particular. The first thing I want to notice is even the most socially prominent people are spiritually poor without Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Here is this woman. She was, she no doubt would have been, she, ha, she had money. She is among the, with the elite. They all knew who she was. And she needed Jesus. Now, in Luke's gospel, we find something very disturbing that he says. We actually find it not just in Luke's gospel, but in others. But it's the one that we refer to as the rich young ruler. Remember him? And so here's this guy, and he's a good Jew. He's following the law as he sees it. And he's come to Jesus, and he says, what else do I need to do? Now, that's a key word there, do. What do I need to do to have eternal life? He, he, he saw himself as being his own savior. And ironically, it is the law, following God's law, made him blind to his own spiritual goodness. That was not the intent of the law. But that's what happens when we take God's instructions and we turn them into a legalistic system. And so he's wanting to know, what is it that I need to do? And he doesn't get it. And so that's why Jesus responds to him the way he does, because he's trying to get at where he really is, and to help him see that he's not doing it. And so he says, listen, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the text says that he went away extremely sad because he just would not part with his money. And that's when Jesus says something that just floors us. And, it, and listen, we may think of other people, but if you are... Living here in America, you're living the dream. <coughs> this should bother you. Jesus said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, wow. But what's interesting is what the response to those who heard this and what they said. And so they say, then who can be saved? That's the point. That's the point. That's where he needed to be. That's where we all need to Then how can we be saved? And Jesus doesn't say, listen, what you got to do is go sell all that you have. He doesn't say, no, I don't think you're, you're getting it. What he says is simply this. What is impossible with men is possible with God. 
So what we need to realize is it's impossible for us to be everything that God wants us to be. But what is impossible for us is possible with God. You see this. So (coughs) only God can save us. Only by the works of the Messiah can we be saved. By his death, by his resurrection, can we have eternal life in the presence of God. You say, what does this have to do with Lydia? Lydia is proof that it isn't impossible for the wealthy and the powerful and the most influential of our world to be in the kingdom of God. But they must come through Jesus. They must come through Jesus. They must humble themselves and to let go of their own personal goodness so that God can save them. Are you with me there? Let's keep going. The good news is countercultural. Now, we don't really see this because our culture is, has changed so many ways as it would have been in this first century or second century and really on from there. But it is a woman who is the first disciple in Europe, not a man. And like I said, we, we can read this and we don't think in those terms, but they would have thought very, it would have been very odd for some of them. And one thing that we've learned, we, you will learn about Luke is that Luke is known for someone who gave prominence to women. He showed their spirituality more than any other of the Gospels. In fact, Luke tells us about nine women that you will not read about in any of the other Gospels. No, not nine, 13 women that is not mentioned in the other Gospels. Luke Acts is filled with examples of women seen in a very different way than the world. And why wouldn't Luke do this? Because that's the way Jesus was. Jesus responded to women that made his own apostles very uncomfortable. In in John 4, that's the woman about the Samaritan woman. There's a lot of immoral things that are going on. But when they come back and they see Jesus talking to her, they don't say, I can't believe he's talking to a Samaritan. If you understand, Jews hate Samaritans. They said, I can't believe he's talking to a woman. Luke also lets us know that in Jesus' ministry, that there were women who were there and they ministered with Jesus. And they were there for Jesus. He did the unthinkable as a Jewish rabbi in that he treated women as if they are human beings that are created in the image of God. Rabbis in that day and time, they they believed it was better just to take the Torah, the law, and to feed it to dogs than it was to teach a woman. Let me tell you something. Jesus, he absolutely broke the molds. He didn't really care what the culture was. And, And Jesus wasn't the one who's the first time this has happened. Folks, this is found in the First Testament. We find Deborah. Deborah 
was a prophetess. This is in Judges 4. She was a military leader, and she became a judge. That is craziness. You read about Huldah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and she speaks a message from Yahweh. She is a prophetess, and she speaks a message from Yahweh to the high priest and to others who had come to her. God chose Esther to be the one to, to keep Israel from extinction. The Jewish society of Jesus' day, they gave women a secondary status. And, and you can see it. We don't often see it quite as they would have seen it. But we can see it as we go through various gospels. And Luke uh, shows us, such as when uh, John the baptizer was born. And Elizabeth says, he'll be called John. Ever notice the response of the relatives and the friends? And they're like, uh, they just dismiss her. Well, let's ask the father, the man, what he thinks. And yet Luke gives Elizabeth prominence in his gospel, not Zechariah. He also gives Mary, the mother of Jesus, prominence over Joseph. Luke shares with us Mary's genealogy. We learn about her fears and her concerns and her emotions. He shares with us the encounter of a prophetess by the name of Anna who was there when Jesus, baby Jesus, is being brought in to be circumcised and she begins to speak the word of the Lord. Luke gives accounts of the widow of Nain and the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and the bleeding woman healed by Jesus and Mary and Martha and a woman healed by Jesus on the Sabbath and the persistent widow and the uh, poor widow. And it was women, not men, who were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Luke continues that honor as we have gone into the book of Acts. It starts right in the outset as they're waiting for the Spirit to come. It is Mary and these other women. They are there with the apostles and they are in an upper room continually praying together. It was mentioned in, in class. Joe used a particular passage from Acts chapter 2. This is this is that first gospel sermon that is being presented. And, 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 and Peter quotes from Joel the prophet and he says something fascinating he says I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity then your sons and daughters will prophesy I will even pour out my spirit on male and female slaves in those days and it shows that male and females are gifted by the spirit of God for the sake of the gospel when Peter is in prison Luke tells us that the 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 brothers and sisters, they had met at Mary's house. This is the mother of John Mark. And they had gone there to pray while he is there. Well, why, why is that significant? Because it's the first time we're given the name of a place where the church had met. And it's Mary. Luke talks about the leading women in Thessalonica and Berea and Athens who came to the faith. We learn about a godly couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And four times in their narrative, Priscilla is mentioned first. 
First of all, for a woman to be put into a literary text in that day and time, that was pretty major. But to be listed before a man, and it also shows she's doing the main teaching. And, and they have this wonderful ministry together. We also heard about Philip. You remember Philip? Philip is the one who first went to Samaria. Remember him? Later on, we find that he has four virgin um, daughters who are prophetesses. Prophetesses. Try to say that real fast. And so what we see here, and really the point, the point is not about this one thing. The point that we see with Jesus and the kingdom of God is it is countercultural. It is so countercultural that even 2,000 years later, some people still struggle with this. Because we think in terms of our own culture. And culture can be found in many ways, whether it be in a workplace, whether it be in the churches we grew up, where we find culture. The other thing that I see here is Jesus opens the heart. Jesus opens the heart. I don't know if you caught that in verse 14. In Luke's gospel, Jesus opens the mind. I love this as he's given to talk to them about the law and the prophets and the Psalms about Jesus. And then at the end, he says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In Matthew's account, it goes on, he says, all things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. Folks, I don't even know what all that means. I don't even, I don't know how you measure that. I really don't. I just know that it's here. And I know that God is the one who opens the heart, and it's not me. I'm simply a messenger. That's it. You are simply messengers as you continue to take Jesus to people that you know and that you love. This is, this is not about how great you are. This is about bringing people to Jesus. Because he's the one who opens the hearts. At the end of the chapter, we find that Lydia, she's using her home as a meeting place. All those who became disciples after her, they meet at her home. It's really fascinating. And what we find here is the discipleship process continuing. It does not stop when they are baptized. That now it is broken, the kingdom of God has broken into our world and there is a new kingdom, a new nation that is arising. And they are formed in these communities with other believers. And we continue together as we await the full coming of the kingdom of God into our world. As we close, I want us to think about what is it that God may be telling us? Listen, it's very easy to, to read these texts and think about other people. Listen, we've, we've got to let these things live in us. And I don't know where it is for you. Some of you, there may be somebody here this morning. And you know what? Where you are is that you've been listening intently to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and God's opening your heart. He's opening your heart. 
And, and there are some who may be like the rich young ruler, and, and you're still trying to figure out what you need to do to have eternal life. That you can't just let go and allow God to be in control of this thing. That doesn't mean that we, we don't serve it. Yes, we serve him. But listen, stop depending upon yourself to be the one to save you because you will never find salvation that way. Or maybe for some of us, it's God is just so countercultural. There's some things I, I really need to think about. Paul said some very countercultural things. And he says, there's no longer Jew or Greek. That's scandalous. He says, there's no longer a difference between those who are slaves and those who are free. And he also says, for those who are male or female. He says, if you are in Christ, then we are all one. That is a totally countercultural thought. In that day and time, and even as we see in our day and time. No doubt, what was happening in their day and time was, was much worse. I think I saw this last week. Was it Serena Williams? Uh, she was on arguing about the pay of the women's soccer uh, you know, that they should get equal pay and all this. I don't really get into that. I don't know much about soccer. Liddell, Liddell does. Um, uh, I do know this. The women's team is much better than the men's team. Uh, so maybe they should get more. I don't know. But look, there's, there's always these things. But we're a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom. And it should change us on every front. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for what you have given to us through the lives of this, this wonderful mission team. We thank you for your spirit who led them, who took them in places where they were supposed to go and on into Europe to eventually where my own family was able to hear your message. Father, I'm so grateful for this, and I know so many here that we, we, there is this indebtedness that we have towards you. And Father, we just thank you that you came to save us, no matter how good we may be, no matter how much we feel like we're following you more than someone else. Father, it's you. It is your son. It's by his works and your grace that we are saved. Father, help us to stop seeing ourselves as good people in our own actions and simply reflect upon the goodness of your Son. And help us, Father, as we carry this to other people. And Father, I pray for, for those who may be in here right now, and I don't know, but Father, there may be someone here right now and and you've been opening their heart. And Father, we just pray that they will come to you. We pray that they will come to your son. Just trust him with everything that they've got. To be baptized. 
to live for you in a community of believers. And Father, help us in those things that we struggle with in our own culture. I struggle. I still struggle, Father. You know this. And I think we always will. But Father, you, you can truly change the heart. And Father, we ask this. And we ask if there's people here this morning that they need prayer, they need any kind of guidance in leading them to you. Father, just give us the words, give us the heart to be a minister to them. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If we can help in any way, come now. Together we stand and as we sing.